Feeling overwhelmed and frustrated by the obstacles you face? Well, you're not alone. The Resiliency Ninja is here to help. Allison Graham is a speaker, author, and business coach. But most importantly, she's on a mission to give you tools to succeed in times when it feels like life sucks. Now, here's your host, Allison Graham. Welcome back to the Resiliency Ninja podcast. I'm your host, Allison Graham. And this podcast is for you if you are a business owner or a high achieving professional who is on a mission uh, to do great things in the world. And I want to give you the tools and the inspiration to know you're not alone and you can be resilient every day. So your challenges don't get in the way of your success. Now today is a friend of mine who I have on the show. I'm super, super excited. And when I started this podcast, she was the first name I put down and said, oh, I'll have to interview Kelsey. And we held off because Kelsey Ramsden is just about to launch a book that I think is absolutely perfect for the Resiliency Ninja tribe, and it is called Success Hangover. And if you are already successful, you will understand what this means. So we're going to unpack that. Uh, Welcome, Kelsey. Oh my gosh, Allison. I am so stoked to be here. Well, it's fun. And normally, Kelsey and I, we have offices in the same office building. And I, we're not in the same location today. But I thought, you know, we're going to be in the same place, but online recording. I thought that was kind of funny <laughs> and ironic. That would have been ridiculous. Totally. It would have been. I, in a way, I'm kind of glad you're, you're not here today just for that. that yeah, way. me too. That'd be kind of weird, like waving down the hall. Hi. <laughs> Hello. Okay, so I'm going to share a little bit about your formal bio, and then we'll just get into our chit chat and uh, talk about the normal things that we do. And don't forget, listeners, at the end, we've got the five rapid fire questions that everybody seems to love. So stay tuned for that. All right, so Kelsey Ramsden moves the earth. Literally, <laughs> she's been twice named Canada's number one female entre- entrepreneur for her businesses in construction and real estate development, building roads, bridges, airports, and communities. She is the author of the book I just mentioned, Success Hangover. She hosts her own podcast called The Future Proofing Podcast and is internationally recognized as an incredible speaker. Uh, Forbes says Kelsey is a master builder of ideas, businesses, and sky's the limit futures. Wow, this is intense. I love it. All right. Kelsey says she's just a good, no BS mix of book and street smart. Either way, results speak for themselves. And Kelsey is all about results. Is it awkward to hear somebody read that incredible bio about you? Like, that's yeah. awesome. <laughs> Honestly, when people started reading bios for me, I, I hated it. I was like, oh my gosh, that's so terrible. Uh, how do I follow my own act? Like, that person sounds pretty impressive. Um, but now I actually enjoy it. Now I'm like, yeah, that's right. That's right. I got this. <laughs> well, I, but, but so before we started uh, recording, remember I said I'm going to like save that thing. So I'll, I'll say it now. So I was at this event um, a couple weeks ago and they were talking about how to prep your bio. And I was like, okay, great. I, you know, I always struggle with writing a bio. I feel it's cheesy sometimes, you know, you're just like pumping your own tires. And they so put me in my place. They were like, you know what? The most important people don't need bios. They just say, and welcome to the stage, Barack Obama. <laughs> and I That's was like, true. <laughs> perfect. So apparently the shorter your bio, the more important you are. So that was a pretty long bio. So even though I'm sitting here going, yeah, you know, I could use like to reduce it by 300 words. <laughs> I, I, I think it's only 225, but uh, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, especially in Canada and now internationally, but when you were named Canada's number one female entrepreneur, not once, but twice, that must have been, was, I don't know, was it surreal? It was very weird. I, so when I was little, I thought uh, I wanted to be on stages. I wanted to be a performer. I would like put on my, I don't know if everybody had underoos, maybe you were born in the seventies, but like underoos were like underwear and a tank top set that had a superhero on or something. And oh, I, I had my, my fair share of underoos. You had those, okay, great. So I'd put on my Wonder Woman underoos and I would make routines and tell jokes and do all this stuff. And then at some point someone was like, eh, that's a terrible occupation kid. Like you should do math or something. 
So I gave that up. And then when I won these awards, it was kind of like being thrust into this thing I always thought I wanted, you know, like just being catapulted into this notion of being known and being, uh, having some notoriety and having people know who I was for what I did. And it occurred to me that what I always wanted was for people to know who I was for what I did, meaning that I had achieved something, not that I was famous. Right. But the way it felt was fame because it was magazines and phone calls and press and hair and makeup. And, and I was like, I think this is what famous people do. I don't want to be famous. I just want to, I just want people to know that they can do what I did. I just want to enjoy what I do and maybe have someone say that was good. Um, so it was both really great and, and tremendously uncomfortable. But if you look at society today, a lot of people are chasing the fame. Which is insane. It is. So my daughter, she at school Googled my name. All these kids are sitting around, they're Googling people they know. And my daughter comes home, she's like, mom, you're famous. I said, no, 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 hold on, stop. I'm not famous. I'm, uh, I have notoriety, which means I'm noted for something that I've done. You know, like having notoriety is to me very different than fame. Um, and like, let's be honest, I've all in my life only three times have people come up to me and said, are you Kelsey Ramsden? So like, (laughs) I'm not, it's not like a Brad Pitt situation here or like, you know, Angelina Jolie. I've done about three times on this. I've been like, are you Kelsey Ramsden? Other than that, it's mostly just phone calls and emails that are like, can you do this? Can you do that? Will you do this? Um, but yeah, I, I mean, for anyone, if anyone's listening and thinking <clears throat> they kind of resonate with this like notoriety piece, they just, they want to be recognized for being world-class in a thing. I can relate. But if you're listening and you're thinking, yeah, you know, fame would be lovely. That's cool. But be careful, I would say, because Fame is an entirely different beast and, and really, in my experience, is a tremendous distraction from the work that you're actually doing. I love the distinction. Mm. It was important for me um, because that was, you know, I was entering a dark hole of trying to figure out, you know, what is it that I'm actually doing with my life? We'll get to that. But yeah. in any event, you know, that's what I would say about having notoriety versus, you know, fame. What do you think it is? So I'm picturing back uh, to you and under ruse with your (laughs) superhero costume, you know, and I remember that too. I remember that instinct of, I want something bigger. And Mm. I also remember getting shot down Mm -hmm. and like even by teachers. I remember once I did this, uh, you know, imagine what your life is going to be like. And you had to create a collage. And I had cool. like horses and a ranch and five kids, you know, a set of twins and, uh, you know, all the money in the world, probably a billionaire lifestyle. And my, my teacher was like, Allison, um, I'm not going to give you a good grade on this. I think you need to reevaluate. Like what? that's not how life is. Give me that teacher's address. Oh, I want to exactly. go over there right now. So, did you go through that? Like who was trying to crush your cookies or were they just trying to mold you into something? I love that crush your cookies. Uh, yeah. You know what? I'd say two things. Number one, I can clearly remember one exact story. I'm in grade three. Um, I'm doing, I do this snowman and I win the art award for the year and it's, I'm so excited. And I come off the, you know, you get your little medal or whatever you got at the end of the year. And I, come down into the auditorium and my friend, two friends over says, being an artist isn't a real future. And I was like, oh my gosh, me, you know, totally balloon deflated. Yeah. And, and so that was, I think the first time where someone really had in that moment where you're just like, I think I've got it. They're like, you don't have anything. What? You're an idiot. That, that, that was, I think, the beginning of this kind of undercurrent of self-talk that was like, you're not smart enough, you're not good enough, you got to do the things that people already expect you to do. That's how you get to be successful. That's how you make money. Do it the way everyone does it. It's known, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then the second thing is, um, 
and this is not to slag on my parents in any way because my parents are 98% of the reason I've done, you know, I had opportunity, but 2% of it really screwed me up. And so the 2% <laughs> for was, all parents uh, everywhere, that 2% <laughs> is when you're screwing up your kids. <laughs> but the 2% will make it on the air. Um, right. So, so I can remember same kind of storyline. I'm, I'm in grade 11, I'm signing up for my courses and now it kind of matters because you're, uh, you know, you're, you may go to university or whatever, you're kind of picking your life. And so I do that and I come home and my folks are like, you can't take typing. No, no typing. Because if you take typing, you'll be someone's assistant because you'll know how to type. If you don't have the skill to do that, that's not a job option for you. And it kind of landed with me this idea of whatever skills you collect, direct your future. So if I can't type, I can't do that. You know, if I can't draw, I can't be an artist. Lots of pretty straightforward, you know, and all these things. And I, and it, I realized how I had edited all these opportunities out by not exploring my ability to do these things. I was just like, nope, that's, that doesn't make money. That doesn't do this. But the, so flash forward, like roughly 10 years, and now I'm in MBA school, best MBA school in the country. And guess how all the exams are written? By type. Yeah, everybody's typing. Guess who's not? Me. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. In a sick twist of fate. I'm like, I had to go and get uh, a letter that said I can't type. I'm like, you know, it was like, I can't, it's, I was like the ESL kid in my own class. And so I got extra time to write the exam because I couldn't type it. And so I had to learn to type like all these record breaking typists in like two weeks. It was, it was the worst thing ever. So, you know, um, I guess the lesson out of that is never mind all the people who are telling you what you can't do. And I mean, we hear this all the time, but I think it's more about like looking at what's around and editing for, do I think I want this to be a part of my skill set? Maybe it doesn't apply directly. Maybe I'm not going to be an artist, but isn't it great to be able to sketch a thing out when I'm trying to explain how I want a road to be built? Isn't it great to be able to type something and send an email? <laughs> right. Or, you know, publish a book. Or, or that too. Yeah, you know, you know. that kind of thing, typing. and all your blog posts and all your like a lot of stuff. So isn't that interesting? See, I love typing class. I'm really sorry you missed missed it because it was like this repetition of uh, meditation almost mm. in the early in uh, grade nine. It was my most powerful course. Was it? <laughs> I, I honestly, that and my entrepreneurship course are the only two things from high school that I actually remember learning. That's funny. Do you know what I, I took in lieu of typing? I took woodwork. Oh, well, that's just as, you know what? Maybe there was a blessing there. Actually, it was. Like, I loved it. And I was the only girl at woodwork, so that's good times. Like, actually, it was. Like, it was, yes. it was good. Yeah, when you're the only girl at the bar, I mean, the odds are pretty good. <laughs> it makes for a very entertaining high school. <laughs> and, <laughs> but also looking what you became, right? Like or in terms of your work, not what you became, you became you, uh, but your work, part of it is the building aspect. Like, oh, totally. I, know know I don't want to hijack this uh, interview, but I want to go back to something you just said, which I think is fascinating. And if the listeners didn't pick up on it, I think it's important that they do. Because you said not what you became, because you were already yourself, or what, something exactly yes. ish like that. What and you I just do. had this conversation with a friend of mine two days ago about this idea that people talk about who they are, and then they're like, "Hi, I'm Kelsey Ramsden. I'm a construction person, and I win all these awards and whatever." Um, just to, oh my goodness, of course, that's my mom. My mom just called. I'm sorry, everyone. Hi, mom. Do you want to take it on air? We could do one of those joke things and like tell her, tell her something really dramatic and see what happens. Oh, yeah. She probably would. She'd be like, okay, so let me now. Okay, now. Susan's sister's cousin. In any event. That's I, awesome. Apparently, everyone knows my mom because our moms all sound like that, I think. Yeah, pretty much. Yes, they do. Yes. They do. But back to the central thesis was this idea about who we are and how we introduce ourselves and how we can hide behind all these these kind of things we've collected. So you can say, I'm Allison, I've written a book, I'm on the air all the time, I've done radio spots, I've done like major political, you know, all these kind of things. But that's not actually who you are. That's just what you've done. And, and it's, a hard, it's a hard thing to internalize. And I think one of the things I know you and I have talked about in the past too is this 
this uh, concept of imposter syndrome. Yes. And I think part of it is that. And I heard a, a podcast the other day. Oh, and I wish, I wish I knew what her name was, but she has a British accent and she is probably because she's British. <laughs> and she's like Britain's number one psychologist. And he, she talks about the I'm good enough and mm. she wants you to have that, right? But what she said is that talented people have talent guilt. Mm. And so the imposter syndrome is very much because it was so easy for you to achieve something and therefore you don't want the accolades for it. It doesn't feel right because it was so simple. You know, I think that's part of it, but I, I think that's a large part of it, but I think there's a small part that's missing in that, in that sometimes it was damn hard. Honestly, like it was hard. I was good at a lot of things, but there were some things I would not good at that I needed to do just to, you know, boy up the rest of the ship. And I think that that part around it, that imposter piece for me, like I say, is 80% totally. It was too easy. It just came the way it did. But the 20% that was super hard, I feel bad that I outworked other people because I actually sometimes, and this is not very nice of me to say about myself, I sometimes feel better than other people who didn't work as hard. Yeah, totally fair. And that feels bad. It feels guilty. It feels like the other people in the room, it's a bit of an imposter thing because I know that good people don't feel that way. And do but you... I'm a good person. Well, you are a good person at your core. <laughs> so we'll, we'll set that to rest. But it's almost like what I'm hearing from you is like the struggle... Okay, so you're looking at it at the the imposter syndrome is coming from the back end of the struggle. So I did it, I outworked you, ha ha, not ha ha. <laughs> we don't want to be like funny like a clown, you know, whatever. No, um, but a bit, yeah, a bit yeah. like I outworked you so anyone could do it. It's just hard work. Right, whereas I see it as if you only understood the shit I had to go through right. to get here, it wasn't that easy. Right. I don't know. It's like a little bit no. like front end, back end. Yeah, truly. You know. It's it's and, and I I can I can relate with that other part when people are like, oh, you know, whatever. It it seems so easy for you. That's when I kick into what you just said, which is, are you serious? Do you yeah. what? Are you talking to me? You know, like, <laughs> have you seen my life? Do you know how much I sleep? Do you have any idea how many children's things I've missed and cried in my car because of it? Do you like? I can go on. But the real thing when I'm in the room of all the people that I, I that are my colleagues, um, but I feel like maybe I just outworked everyone. Maybe I'm not as smart as them. Maybe it was easier for them. And I just got in here on like, you know, the lucky pass, which well, is ridiculous. I, well, it totally is ridiculous. And I mean, luck is whatever. You can use any cheesy phraseology, right? Like, you know, hard work meets preparation. Yes. Um, you know, or preparation, whatever those things are. Yes. And now I remember when you told me, or I think I read it in your book, your first rendition of the Success Hangover book that has gone through many iterations. The three-year project. Yes, has been a, a tool of examples of resilience right there. <laughs> And it's going to be incredible. I can't wait for other people to get a chance to read it. But I remember the story specifically of you getting into business school. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. let's walk through it. Oh, my goodness. So I think I've prefaced, I think everyone who's listening knows that I wasn't like a scholastic exemplar of achievement. I did fine. I kept thinking like all the way through school, I was like, why, why are you making me a monkey? And jumping all your hoops and checking all your boxes is ridiculous. People already learned this. Why do I have to regurgitate it? It's in a book. Why can't we look it up? Like that was what school was like for me. Uh, I think in part because I wasn't that great at it. I didn't have a lot of focus and attention. So I made it wrong. You know, people who love school and who did really well are listening and being like, she's ridiculous. School's really important. I agree. School is tremendously important. But for me at the time, I wasn't good at it. So I made it bad. Yeah. Mm. So I went on and I, and because of that was also part of my identity was I'm not good at school. I'm great at sports. I'm great at making friends. I'm doing, you know, but I'm not good at school. That was an important part of who I was. 
who I believed I was. And uh, so I go on and it, in fact, I had to go to college uh, because I couldn't get into university because my grades are so bad. Then I wound up negotiating, negotiating my way into my undergrad. Long story short, I wind up, I wanna go to MBA school. And uh, thankfully I had a little bit of strategy in me in my early 20s. So the last 10 credits of my undergrad I took, things I knew I would get A's in, like guitar, and art for educators. Oh yeah, totally. I totally gained it. So my so guitar. My hold on. Excuse me for a second. I just want to pause. Is guitar a yeah. a, a class? Yeah, you can take that at the University of Victoria for a three point credit. Guitar. <laughs> I can play you a little Bob Dylan. That got me an A. So Fantastic. you know, obviously, I'm not going to take like fourth level physics, which I was taking in other class. I'm not going to do that in my last 10. That's ridiculous. Who would do that? I know right. I wasn't going to get an A. Good thing. So, so I did that. So now I, I apply to every single MBA school in Canada. There are 13. And the first one I get back is from the University of Saskatchewan that says, no, thank you. And I was like, this does not bode well for the remaining 12 <laughs> envelopes that I'm expecting. And so they just kept coming. The hits kept coming. No, thank you. No, thank you. No, thank you. And so there was only one left to come, which was uh, Western. So the Richard Ivey School of Business hadn't arrived. It's like the la what is it, August of 15th-ish, Sec end of the second week of August. I'm like, yeah, that's not happening. I'm not getting into MBA school, bummer, whatever. Um, and then I got this big fat envelope in the mail. And I knew right away they had made a mistake. I was like, oh, my God, they let me in. Someone, someone screwed up. <laughs> I was so excited. <laughs> so I called my dad and I was like, hey, dad, I need to borrow like $70,000 from you today. I need to wire transfer it to these people. And he was like, what did you do? <laughs> Which shows, shows you where everybody thought my life was heading at the moment. But, I, but I, it was $100,000. And I had 30 saved up. And I was like, no, I got into MBA school. I got to wire it before they figure out they've made a mistake. I have to wire transfer them money. <laughs> if I give them my money, they are going to keep me. They're going That's to right. not want to send it back. <laughs> That's right. They're just going to pull up another chair, like honestly. So in any event, so that's how I got into MBA school. But what's hilarious about it is that on the flip side, uh, so when I got to MBA school, I felt like a total imposter. Like it was insane. I was like the only kid driving a bright green convertible wearing flip-flops. Everybody else had like a business suit on. And uh, about three months in, I'm hyper-involved. I'm on the Senate. I'm doing all these things. And I meet this woman in the administration. And she's like, Kelsey Kitch. That was my maiden name. I, I remember your application. And I was immediately, I was like, oh, my God, this is the moment. This is when they figured out. This is when I get kicked out. And she said, uh, can I tell you something? I said, yeah, I hope you do. She said it was on top of the no pile when I walked into the admissions room. But on the cover of it was a hand-drawn picture with an essay and I couldn't help but read it. And I read all about how you described yourself and compared yourself to the universe, which is what I had drawn on the front. And she said, I turned to the admissions committee and I said, I think we should put this girl on the wait list. Let her in if someone turns down their spot. I think she'll do something interesting. And that's how I got into MBA school. Oh my God. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And you know what, that's, that's kind of the thing that is a luck where if your yeah. piece hadn't been on the top of the no pile, totally. it would have been buried two under. Totally. But don't you ever think, and this may be too woo woo for your people, but I'm just going to say, don't you ever think that sometimes the world has your back. You just have to show the fuck up. Yes. I totally believe that. I believe it's all little dots connecting and we have to have the faith that it's connecting in the future, right? Like Steve Jobs says, you can only connect the dots looking backwards right. and yet they always end up connecting. If, as you say, you show up because it's very hard for dots to connect if you never put yourself in the game. Totally. Totally. And I could have listened to everyone who was like, your GMAT's too low. Your grades are too low. It's going to cost you like $3,000 to apply to all those schools you're sending a drawing? You're going to what? Like, fair enough. Totally fair enough. Okay. Do you know what else I'm seeing here? If we want to go universe, thank goodness you didn't know how to type. <laughs> True. 
Super true. Oh right? Because you could have fallen trap to what everybody else did. Totally. It's Their so cover true. letter. It's yeah. so true. And in the end, you know, uh, I'm highly involved in Ivy and I always love to bring up that story as do they around like, I think she'll do something interesting, you know, and that's kind of worked out. So Ivy is really excited about your new book and your mm-hmm. new concepts on success hangover. Mm-hmm. Which is frightening because it could be like another, it could be, it could, it's, it's very meta. I think it's going to be a success hangover about the success hangover. I think <laughs> the book is going to do the next stratosphere of things. And uh, I don't know about you and, I, and, and uh, for your listeners, I'm curious what they think too. But you know when you know something is going to work out, like you just know it. Yes. Uh, and it's frightening. Yes. Because maybe it back to that imposter thing. Maybe it's going to be just that easy. You worked really hard, and you did all you know. You did all of it, but you're at the precipice of here we go, next chapter, next era, new thing, and that's what it feels like right now. The book is. Um, being carried further and farther and faster than I would have expected. And they want to submit it to the Harvard Business Review and these things that in my world and the business world are like, it's, it's kind of like that's as high as it, go- as it gets. There's right. nothing better. Um, the- and meanwhile, I'm like, but it's just a bunch of my ideas. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. And I think one of the things that's so powerful about this is we rarely talk about what happens after success. A lot of the self-help world and personal development, professional development, all of it is focused on how do you achieve success? And those of us who have had little wins or, you know, big wins get there and go, oh, what am I chasing now? Right? Like what's your definition of a success hangover? Well, here's the thing. I think people hear that and think, oh, I'm not successful yet. And that, that's the whole crux of the issue is that we set out to do these things, whether it's I want to make the sports team, I want to graduate high school, I want to finish my undergrad, I want to write the book, I want to get the job, I want the promotion, I want whatever. Mm-hmm. We all have these micro goals all the way along the way. And we reach them, and more often than not, it's like, huh, okay. You know, the, there is no fanfare. There's no big band. Maybe for a minute you feel like accomplishment, but then you walk out to your car with your degree and you're like, all right, so now what? So I think that if anyone is listening, thinking I'm not successful yet, and you just heard what I had to say, you will be able to identify a lot of times in your life where you set a goal and you arrived at it. And then we're only left thinking like, is that it? So now what? And so the success hangover is really about the so now what? Because like you'd said, a lot of, you know, we spent the last five years kind of in the development space talking about grit and and, um, failure and that kind of thing, which is very useful and absolutely required conversation. But no one's talked about this other thing, which carries a bit of shame to it because when we get what we thought we wanted and we're still dissatisfied, it sounds a little bit like a first world problem, you know, like, you oh, know, so sad for you. You got what you wanted. Um, but, the, but the truth is it, it feels like you're in a vacuum with no air. Um, as you know, in my office, I have an Alice in Wonderland picture, an actual cell from uh, when they illustrated Alice in Wonderland. And that part where Alice is falling down the rabbit hole and she's just like grasping at things and randomly like, where am I going? You know, that's what it feels like. Um, So even though you have all the things, you achieved the thing you wanted, uh, it's a bit of a free fall around the, so what's next? And is there a bit of guilt? And maybe this is where you're using the word, word shame, like you arrived and yet you're not satisfied. Yeah. It's like in the book, my favorite quote is, uh, it's like being in the missionary sex of your career. It's decent. It counts, but it's hardly memorable. It's like you show up every day and at a certain point you're like, yep. All right. Hop on, (laughs) you know, it's good. I'm here. I'm doing what I, and part of that though. And here's the, here's, here's, here's how I think we can identify because I think a lot of people get to place in their work or their career 
and uh, it's good, right? It's comfortable, it's fine, but over time, that mastery, because they become good at the thing that they do, that mastery becomes totally mundane because those people have mental horsepower, you see. Their mind is full of a bunch of horses that are frothing and writhing and wanting to do something and achieve something and accomplish something and be challenged. And they're giving it, you know, what's one plus one every day. Even though when they started that thing, it was challenging. Now you're a master at it and it's, it's so meh. Right. And so a lot of people arrive at that place and they think, well, I'm, I'm burnt out. I've been working so hard to get here and now, or it's a midlife crisis and now, but really in a vast majority of cases, it's neither. It's simply that you're not feeding your mind what it thrives on. Okay, so I'm going to ask you and everyone listening this question. Okay. You think about what your mind consumes, like as if it was food. Yeah? Yes. So there's certain things in our fridge all the time um, that we always buy and that we eat and things we like. And the same happens to our mind, especially when we get into our 30s and 40s and older. We feed it the same stuff. So I don't know about you, but for a long period of time, I read the same magazines. I followed the same people on Instagram. I talked to the same friends. I went to the same events. Same, 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 same. Which is fine. It made me feel good. I liked it. It was comfortable. I knew I was going to get mostly democratic uh, information on my Facebook feed. I knew I was going to get mostly, you know, food and renovation things on my Instagram feed. I knew the economist was going to support my worldviews. I, you know, all these things. I knew the dinner party was going to have three glasses of wine. So I'd walk out a little bit tipsy and we'd talk about religion. Like it was kind of all straightforward. Pretty prescriptive. Pretty prescriptive. Interesting. Certainly I built it that way, but at a certain point it's like, it's like getting McDonald's every day. You know, I know it's the same. And And it's hard to grow from a place of complacency. Nailed it. This is it. So then our minds are like, give me something new. Feed me something new. Because that's that's how we grew up, isn't it? Your mind started empty. You fed it all sorts of new and interesting things. You learned, you grew, you did it over and over and over again. And at some point, you stopped. And is it any wonder that your mind is bored as hell? My gosh, brilliant. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Yet, you know, we continue to scroll. Like, how does one recognize that, first of all, and then find something new to do? Like, actually, I'm trying to think, like, how do I phrase this? It's like, I think we all know we want to do something different. Yes. Or add something new. Yes. Don't get rid of everything. No. And finding that thing and or taking the initiative to actually implement it because a comfortable comfort zone is comfortable, right? So taking that piece to go, okay, I'm going to join and do this new thing that I've never done before, but always wanted to like cool. taking that step. Is that just discipline? Is that motivation? Is that, what is it? Yeah. So here's what happens. The older we get, the more discerning we get, the more our time is valuable. The more we think, if I do that thing, I need to know specifically what deliverable result am I getting out of it? Otherwise, it's a waste of my time. I got, I got important things to do, my friends. What am I doing? Flitting around, joining dance class, or whatever the case may be. So here's, here's what I'm going to invite. I'm, I'm going to go about this in two ways. Okay. And for everyone will understand this one of the two ways. The first way is kind of uh, the most straightforward way in that If there's things on your bucket list you always wanted to do, hot tip, you're dying. I'm dying. We're all dying this very second. Some people at different rates. When I had cancer, I was dying faster. Now I'm dying less fast. But no one's going to do it unless you're going to do it. So at some point, the pain of not doing that thing, the pain of not really actually living, will outweigh the comfort. And I think everybody's been on a diet or everybody's been on an exercise regime or everybody's done all those things that we've all failed at. And the reason that we did fail more often than not was because it was absolute. 
we were like, I'm going to the gym five days a week for one hour at a time. I'm never eating pasta again. Uh, whatever. Absolute. Absolute. And that never works. We just know that that doesn't work. But we keep doing it because it feels powerful, but it's a terrible idea. So the same applies to this. If you're that person who's driving in your car, listening to this right now, or in your kitchen making dinner, whatever the case may be, and you're like, I always wanted to insert thing here, please don't sign up for it. Please don't buy the whole outfit, spend $1,000 to get your like rock climbing thing. Go one day and test it. Go to the info session. Go to the 30-minute intro thing. Go and even watch those people do it. Test it out first. Small, incremental. Look, here's the thing. If you, and uh, we're going to get racy here for a minute, if you're okay, okay with that. Uh, if you go on a date and the person comes and picks you up and you go out to their car and have sex, do you like, I mean, it's probably thrilling. By the way, these are not the dates I've had. No, unfortunately, sometimes. But I will say, <laughs> you don't necessarily need to have another date. No, probably not. Probably maybe, not, though. But not the great kind of date. We haven't done a lot of talking, you know, whatever. But we got the result, and it was really hot and heavy and all good times. What our minds want is not that. Right. What, what works for how we were created, our wiring, is we go on a first date, and we get interested. We go on a second date, and we're, and we're a little bit more interested, and we're curious. We go on a third date and we test out a few things. What do you think about this? I'm going to ask you some new questions to see what kind of person are you really. The same thing applies to all of our activities. So don't go and, you know, go straight to the car. Right. Give it a little bit of time. But because we we're also that. busy. We do. I like, you're right. When you think about weight loss or, and God knows I'm that person. I mean, I'm like, that's it. I'm all in. I'm finally going to get rid of this weight, you know? And I try to go all in and then it's not sustainable. Right. And my elephant brain goes, ah, stop, 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 stop. And then next oh, thing yeah. you know, I'm out eating what's not good for me. Amen, man. I'll have a pizza and a bottle of wine. That's right. So and I'm allergic to dairy. Perfect. <laughs> right? Like, what am I doing? So, you know, what if you just did that one day a week? What if you're like, Thursdays, I'm eating healthy. Just Thursday. That's it. Yeah. I'm just going to do it Thursday. And then over time you go, geez, I felt pretty good Thursday. Maybe I'll do Wednesday, Thursday, or I'll do Thursday, Monday. What, you know, grow into it. So that's the first way of explaining it to people. If that resonated with you, cool. Love it. Now, if you're a tougher cookie like me, um, it was a bit harder to understand that. So it took me three years to figure out how to get out of my own success hangover um, and how to figure out what's next and how to really get down to the crux of like, what am I yearning for and what am I missing and how do I incorporate it? And uh, so I'm going to do a little exercise with you. Cool. Okay. All you right. For a minute. You're, I'm all in. You're open. I love it. Okay. So uh, you're not going to answer these questions out loud. We're going to have a pause in the audio. So you're just going to be quiet. Okay. And everyone who's listening is playing along. You listener, you're doing this too. Don't worry. It's not going to freak anyone out, but answer quietly in your own head. Here we go. Okay. I'm going to ask you two questions. You're going to answer them in your head, and then I'm going to read your mind. This is how it works. Oh, I love it. Okay. Imagine this. I'm reading like thousands of minds from around the world later on even after this is recorded this is like high test stuff so here we go the first question i want you to think of something that you know really well a specific thing that you know really well got it i feel like what if i'm going to get the wrong answer and then you're not going to there is no wrong answer okay the, thing, the first thing that came to your mind so the okay. thing you know really well something you know really well okay cool same thing with the second one. First thing that comes to your mind, don't make it too complex. Uh, here we go. The second question is, think of something you remember, a, a memory, something specific, something you remember. Got it? Yeah. Cool. So here's what I know to be true in 90% of the cases. Now, this is just based on me asking these questions for years and years and understanding. The first question, um, it's very likely, if not, you know, greater than 90% likely that that thing that you know could be taught. Is that true? 
Oh, no, that way. Yeah. Okay. So see, I was wrong in my answer. I I really, I really know my dog's behaviors. Cool. Could you teach someone that? Yeah. You could teach someone. You could be like, when Winston does this, this, and this, Winston's going to do that based on this. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes, I could. So I I was right. You were right. You're right. It could be taught. So it could be taught. So for everyone listening, that thing you know really well, 90% of you are going to say, yes, it could be taught. I could teach it. And it could seem abstract like that, but if you could teach it, the answer is yes. Now, moving on to the second question, that memory, I'm going to guess that it's tagged with three things. And I'm not guessing, actually, no. So number one, it's high emotion. So love, lust, hate, fear, something like that. Yes? Yes. Number two is it couldn't be repeated the exact same way twice. Totally yep. true. Mm-hmm. Number three is you either did it with another human being by virtue of you shared an experience with them, or if you did it on your own, you at some point told someone else in person, eye to eye, not text, not Instagram, not Facebook. Yes? 100%. 100%. Yeah, 100%. So here's why I know these things about everyone who's listening. It's not because I can actually read your mind, obviously. It is because there's a way that our minds work in that how we collect and store information. So you think about your mind like it was your fridge, yeah, or a library with a bunch of shelves. Yeah. If we go back to that time when I was talking about we're consuming all the same things, we're buying all the same things, we're basically stocking our mental shelves with all the same ingredients over and over and over again, except for those rare occasions where we stock something new. We cause our mind to say, hey, wait a minute, this isn't coming again. Pay attention. Hey, wait a minute, show up, engage. That's when we come alive. In those moments, those second moments we were talking about, those memories, your mind is fully alert and alive and functioning in fifth gear because it's ready. It's like pay attention. When we're doing the other thing, that thing we know really well, our mind is probably in first or second gear. It's not highly engaged. It could be taught to anyone else. And dare I say, it's actually kind of monkey business. Because if you could teach it, someone else could learn it. And so therefore, it's important, but we shouldn't really hang our hat on that thing as who we are. But so here's where the big aha comes in. Most of us go around our lives attaching our worth and our value and who we are to that first thing. I'm Kelsey Ramsden, I have an MBA, I did this thing, I did that thing, I did this thing. Very little of what we attach ourselves to is the second thing, which is all of our experiences, which really is the unique part about who we are. So it's no wonder that at a certain point in our life when all that first part is in first and second gear and feels pretty boring, but that's who we believe we are, we feel like everything is kind of blah. And we're blah, and life is blah, and blah, blah, blah. But what excites us is that second part, all of those new and interesting things. But yet we don't pursue those things. So here's the magic in it. And in the book, there's two models. This one I'm talking right now is called the the 3E model, but the fourth E um, is the epiphany. So it's emotion, embed, and experience. When you can engineer yourselves, things that have high emotion that's an experience that wouldn't be repeated the exact same way twice and you share it with another human being your mind is going to come to life i can guarantee it you're going to feel alive and the fourth e the epiphany is what we're all searching for that moment where it's like that's what i want to do that's the answer and that only comes when we start putting new ingredients on the shelves because guess what You've been cooking with the same old stuff forever and expecting something new to come out of the kitchen. And it's just simply not going to happen unless you get some new ingredients. So that's really the most straightforward way that I can kind of arrive at for the people who are in resistance is highlighting that the part of ourselves that we cling so tightly to, that definition, is actually the thing that holds us back most. And the thing that we often put not a lot of value in, our unique experience, is actually the thing that will set you free. Wow. So here I am. I'm like 
put your mouth back together, Allison. Stop, <laughs> stop, stop dropping your chin. Uh, because it's like, it's like a total, like what you've just said, I believe is so incredibly powerful and I can see it. I can see it in my life. I can see why when, and I'm sure the listeners can as well, that why when I'm going through the day-to-day like motions of existing and running a business and, and doing all the things that we do, I do, I come back and I feel blah. And then when I go out and I'm on the, the road and, you know, working with an audience and keynoting and doing what I love, I mean, I remember those, like they were just like parts of my existence and they fire me up. And then you come back and you go blah. So let and, me ask you this. When you're on the plane back from an event or you're driving your car back from an event, is that when you have your aha moments? Uh, probably. But then when I get home, I get back into the world and don't have. Totally. Exactly. So here's the thing. And this is the second part. And this is for everyone who does it. Because we all do it. We're like, okay, all right. Now I'm going to go. She said, just do a little bit. I'm going to go and I'm going to like just sign up for a kayaking tester thing. And I'm going to be so stoked. And I'm going to come home and I'm going to tell my husband, this is the most amazing thing. I'm still fired up. And then on Monday, I'm just going to do the same thing I always did. So how do we keep at it? Yeah. yeah. How do we like, how do we actually take those epiphany moments and be like, right, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to do something about this. And so this thing, I'm actually, I'm going to, I'm going to do kind of, well, there's two ways we can do this, and, and I don't want to be salesy. Um, so I'm going to explain this thing for the people who have a pen and paper, and you can rewind it. And in fact, you know what, Allison, I'll send this to you for the show notes. Okay, That's awesome. Um, or people can find it on the website. But it's a quadrant, because I'm an MBA, I like to make models. And of course you do. Yes. Yeah, of course I do. So a quadrant is just a square cut into four, making four squares within a square. Cool? Awesome. Got it. And so... Um, in this square, there's axes, and I'm actually going to pull this up exactly so that I get this 110% correct because lots of times I'll call the different axes different things because I am totally so comfortable within it that I forget that I should call it specifically what it is for those specific people. And this is in the book Success Hangover, right? Like I, yeah. I'm happy to sell that and encourage people to go over and get a copy of this. And we'll put it in the show notes. And I think if you haven't, been motivated to go get this book in this conversation, then I don't think you're listening to the same conversation I am. <laughs> you're so awesome. So yeah, okay. So there's new and there's old. Okay. So okay. on one, and I'm just, I'm actually going to pull this up right now. I should have done this sooner, but uh, it's all good. I we we just went into places I didn't expect us to go, Ellison. Like this is how it is. The it resiliency is. ninja chit chat. It's true. Well, isn't it funny when you do those things, you wind up at totally, I think you wind up at better, more interesting places. If you and I beforehand were like, Hey, we're going to script this, we're going to do this thing, we're going to do whatever. It just, it just doesn't ring true the same way, does it? Well, this is the thing. And I know a lot of podcast hosts, they actually plan their questions and I don't. So all I do, and maybe some, (laughs) there may be some listeners who are like, yeah, Allie, we get that. (laughs) We know you don't. (laughs) Yeah, they're like, eh, I think yeah. this is a great example of that. We've kind of figured that out. Okay, so here we go. All right. So uh, so you've got your four quadrants, and on one side uh, or one end of one of it is new, on the other end is old. Yeah? Okay. On one is accepted, and on the other is um, challenging. So what that means is we've got – so I'm going to – I'm gonna. so new is – North, old is south, hard is east, and easy is west. Okay. Okay. So we have the new, the old, the easy, the hard. So what? So in the new, that requires new systems. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the old maintains known systems. So new requires new systems, meaning I'm going to have to try something new. I'm going to have to incorporate a new system. Right. Old is that's how we've always done it. Cool. Got it. Hard is it challenges my existing belief. It makes me think, do I really believe that anymore? Is that something that I was told and I just took up? Maybe I've learned something new and I have to go, huh, maybe I have to see a thing differently. Easy is it supports my existing belief. It's my Facebook feed. 
it's all pretty well right in line with my my um, democratic views, right? Or it supports my existing beliefs in that school is hard or whatever, okay? Okay. But what that does when you set that up is you're, you, you wind up with four quadrants. What the top right is innovative. When something requires new systems and challenges your existing belief, you're innovating. That's Steve Jobs coming up with the iPhone. That's him saying, here's, we got to create this whole new paradigm and people are going to have to revisit what they think of their phone and how they actually get information and how they communicate with other humans. That's innovative. Cool. The top left is adaptive. So that is something that requires a new system, but it it supports an existing belief. It's like pretty much the same. We're just going to tweak it a little bit. Bottom right is obsolete. That's something that challenges my beliefs because I've changed. And now it's like, hmm, and it maintains an old system. So obsolete would be like your fax machine. Right. Right? It's like nobody uses those anymore. We, I don't even believe in fax machines. But everybody knows how to use it. So it does maintain a known system. So that's obsolete. Okay. Bottom left is functional. That's that missionary sex thing. It supports my existing beliefs and it maintains a known system. It works. It's fine. Move on. Cool. And that functional quadrant is where we get blah. Nailed it. We spend so much time supporting our own existing beliefs and maintaining our known systems and comfort that we are just functional. It's fine. It works. Why change it? But what really charges people like us up, people who are even interested in success, people who are resilient, is adapting and innovating. That's, that's what brings us to life. We don't want to show up and work on the factory line of every day, functional. No. And we're better than that. And so what I do for my own self, for those people who are stuck, who are like, oh, what am I doing? What am I, how am I living my life? What am I, is I pull out this little thing, I scratch it down, and I put some dots on it. I go, okay, here's me driving to work. Here's me, you know, doing sports with my kids. Here's me negotiating contracts. Here's me sending emails. Here's me making dinner. Here's me doing this. Like map out your whole week, every single thing you did. And look at where you're spending your time. Oh my gosh. Here's me on Facebook. Here's me reading The Economist. Here's me on a flight. Meet, 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 meet. Here's the people I talk to. Map your friends. Map your dinner parties. Map the next month of activities. And what you may find is you have some squares that you'd like to fill a little bit more up into, and you have some squares you'd like to decrease a little bit out of. I'm pretty sure. (laughs) I might might not have any room left on the one square someday. Right, which is and you know it's funny because I think if other people looked at my life on social media and all of that, they would think, oh, she's always up in that that big quadrant, and that's where social media I think is so hard for people's psyche is because we only show the the innovative and the adaptive quadrants. I think, or we we don't talk about the functional quadrant. Yeah, you're, which is why, honestly, so much of us have such a hard time posting things because we're like, oh, this isn't that exciting. It's like, I'm walking my dog. Oh, here's me making dinner. You know what I mean? And so <laughs> this idea of like, you know, or, or we're posting mundane things and trying to make them exciting. We're like, here's me doing the thing I always do, except today I'm wearing yellow. <laughs> That's right, yeah. people. The newest color in trend fashions. <laughs> Okay. I love that. I do want to ask you the five questions. And I know our timing. We'll have to have you back on the show. Uh, I know people are going to get so much of this. And I'm going to remind people that they can get a lot of this information in Success Hangover. And uh, of course, if you're having conferences, Kelsey is an amazing keynote speaker as well. So I'll throw that in as a plug. So let's talk about these questions. Is that a uh, chime going on in the background? (laughs) Can you hear that? Yeah, totally. I can hear that. It's like, are we, uh, it, it's almost like I need like a, a little jeopardy, like as the questions come up and I feel like your chime was perfectly timed. It's actually my late grandmother's cuckoo clock from Austria. Oh, I love it. Isn't that memorable and sweet? Yeah. 
So there you go. Everyone awesome. got to be at my, at my kitchen table listening to the 10 o'clock Chimathon. I love it. Awesome. Okay. First question, a book that changed your life. Great. I have three. Okay. Um, Ooh, look at this. This is sorry. Good. I, I can never just have one. I have three. Uh, one is the little engine that could. Okay. That, love it. I know it sounds ridiculous, but honestly, it's transformative experience. The little engine that could. Um, I think I can. I think I can. The second one is um, the art of possibility. And I should know who wrote it, but the cover is yellow. And I'm sure that in the show notes, you could figure it out. Totally can. The Art of Possibility um, totally shape-shifted my world. And, mm, geez, the, the final one is really a tie between um, an untethered soul. Oh, beautiful. Which was totally amazing. And the War of Art. And I think like really briefly what, what I got from the untethered soul and why they're a tie is that the untethered soul released um, the, the voices in my head, which sounds crazy, but the, the tape that plays that reminds me of all the things, like the one that talks to me like I'd never talked to anyone else, uh, it, it showed me that I'm not that person. The untethered soul, will, it's transformative. But at the same time, the war of art gave me permission to have a process that in all the things that I create, there's a way that I do it and other people do it differently and that my way is okay. Um, so that the war of art. Great. And I, so I was kind of hoping you were going to say the book that I'm reading right now (laughs) that you gave me, which I often do say actually drive. Uh, by Dr. Yeah. Yeah. Dr. Doug Brackman. That is it. That will, sh- you know what? Okay. If you're a listener and you actually, there's two kind of people in the world, there's hunters and farmers. And if you know, just by hearing that description, you're not a farmer. The book is a must read. I have never, I, I think actually <laughs> like at one point I was on the airplane laughing and then I cried <laughs> and it was so absolutely revolutionary for me. And it was just this week. I'm like at page 182 and I normally don't devour books yes. uh, that quickly, but I couldn't put it down. And it was so insightful in terms of why I am the way I am and how I react. Oh my God, so, isn't it the best? Thank you for sharing that with me. And you know, just to, to share with our listeners, we're going to go on, this guy has a, a sniper meditating retreat. Yes. What Doug says is he teaches people to meditate at gunpoint. Which is wild. It's super cool. I mean, I can't wait. In fact, you and I should potentially do another show after you've come and done that experience. A hundred percent. And maybe we could get Doug on because it, it, yeah, that experience. If you, if you ask me what experience changed my life, that would be top 10. So you've already done this. Is this when you went to MTT or MITT or Tim? No, this was, well, yeah, that introduced me to it. But then I took out, um, when I was doing mastermind groups, I took my mastermind gals out last year and we did a day, a three day with Doug or like a day and a half or whatever, split over two days or split over three days. Yeah. It, uh, we'll definitely do it after. Yeah. It's a major. It's a, that's a whole nother. So I'm not even going to get into it because I, yeah. I would do it a disservice if I had any less than half an hour to blow people's minds. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It is awesome. Okay. Second question. A time in your career when you pushed through fear. Every day. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Honestly, no, you know what? Here's the thing. I think people think, I, sorry, I have to laugh because it's so hilarious to me in this, such a sad way, like the kind of laughing where you're almost crying, that I think people think that other people know what they're doing. I actually <laughs> do. I think people think that someone has the answer and it is insane. Everyone is just as totally befuddled and confused and trying to figure shit out on the fly and just keeping it together. And sure, there are absolutes. Like I can compete with you on doing some quadratic math. That's an absolute, not a problem. I know what I'm doing there. But when it comes to the stuff that matters, building your business, raising your children, working on relationships with other people, no one knows because it's never been done that exact same way before. Never. Um, so yeah, every day 
I'm in fear of making a mistake because I'm always doing things that I don't know if I'm doing it right because it's never been done the exact same way before. Uh, I'm confident that no matter what I do, I'll be able to sort it out. But that doesn't mean it alleviates me from feeling fear about it. So, man, working through fear is on the constant for me. That's just like it's all the time thing. Awesome. Okay. Uh, if you could change one thing people do on social media, what would that thing be? Check it every hour. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. It's a little bit consuming. eh? I love that uh, iPhone came out with the screen tracking time and you can limit your social media. And I have done that. And I'll tell you every day I hit my max. Dude, what like, is this? I don't know this thing. Oh my gosh. The update on iOS 12. Is it work on an iPhone 6? I have no idea. Did, did you get the new update? <laughs> I think I did. I think I did do that. I must, uh, I will, I will investigate this because I could use it, you know, as much as I'm calling people out and like, don't check your, I check it, man. All the time. And sure. it's, it's shocking because what I've said it to is one hour that I'm yes. allowing myself on my mobile for social media. Yes. Because quite frankly, on mobile, unless I'm posting, which takes 10 seconds yes. of the hour, I'm scrolling mindlessly. Yes. And it's whether, you know, you're just sitting there, you're doing whatever, but I'm like trying to challenge myself, go read an article like we did yeah. in the old days. Cause I think yeah. social media is kind of making us dumber, right? Like. Oh, totally. It totally is. Yeah. Don't you ever feel like a bad friend. Like I feel like 80% of my social media time is just trying to follow up on what all the rad things are happening with my friends. And I want to be like, congratulations, or that's so cool or whatever the case. Uh, or not get to a party and someone be like, oh, you didn't hear? And I'm like, what do you mean? Yeah, what? No, yeah. I, I, yeah. So it's a form I of FOMO. Like it's the FOMO. I'm in the FOMO camp. I'm not in the needless, like, deep dive into random information. I'm in the what if I, what if I wasn't kind to my friend and congratulated something they posted and I missed it. What if they did not get that dopamine hit that they were mm. expecting when they, they posted my heart? Me. They didn't get my thumbs up, man. They think I'm I'm leaving them and I'm not supportive, and that's not me. I'm 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 on your team. I totally don't know. on your team. I actually feel stressed even saying this. Like I'm right now. I'm there's more saliva in my mouth, which is what happens when I get stressed because I feel like I I want to support everyone who's doing interesting things. <sighs> Sorry, just got stressed out there. There, I get it. It's a lot. How do you keep up with everybody, especially if you have interesting friends? Which is key. Right. Because there are a lot of things. About, that like five people you surround yourself with thing, I started doing that three years ago. Man, totally changed everything. So like if you didn't ask a question about that, I'm answering it anyway. Yeah, I think Anyone it's great. Listening, look well, at they... the people that you spend your time with. Like and not that you have to call them, but add some juicy people into your mixture. I know that for me, depending on who I'm spending time with and the conversation soundtrack and all of that, that is, mm. is so valuable because that will influence. And they say you will be in five years based on the people you hang out with, yes. the five people, and the books you read. Yes. Which is why I can do another plug for Success Hangover. <laughs> I will say it is actually, it's, it's, it's a pretty important piece of work. I, I will say this. I, there are about five things in my life I'm proud of. Um, three of them are my children. One is the book. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to say that in a way that doesn't sound, but I, 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 I am proud of it. Well, and the listeners know that I've had lots of authors on the Resiliency Ninja podcast, and I don't, I like, I always promote people's books and and will share authentically what I think is really valuable from them. But I rarely have ever said, I don't think I ever have have ever said, go buy this book, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's not something that I I fluff up to. 
say it's because I know how incredibly valuable this information is, especially for the people who are listening to the Resiliency Ninja podcast, because we're business owners, we're high achieving professionals, we're people who are out there in the grind, making shit happen, having big visions, want to change the world. And if you're in that place, then this is a natural byproduct that nobody's talking about. And so the fact that Kelsey is opening this conversation and giving us tools to figure out why is this not jiving? What, what is, why am I feeling the success hangover is so incredibly valuable. So I'm all in, all in, all in, all in. Awesome. I'm going to leave it there because that was a very motivational way to end the podcast. Yes. Well, and I, I have to say, um, not to fangirl you, but just briefly, because I know it's your show and probably not a lot of other people would hijack it like this, but I'm happy to. Um, I think that the work that you're doing for people who are like us around resiliency, because again, I, I think that the conversation, not just about failing, but getting up, right? We can We can talk about what hurts us and harms us. And we can talk about all of our, you know, all of our hurt and fear. But I think the difference in, in what you and I talk about is that's great. Let's recognize it, but let's do something. And, and I, I just want to say, I think it's amazing that you're bringing the let's do something piece, the how we get up off the mat piece, the comeback, um, that the strength of that is 10 times more than talking about the weakness side. Yeah. And I just, I think it's amazing that that's the work that you're doing because, because these kind of conversations need to be had a lot more often. Thank you. You're welcome. Hijacked. Hijacked. <laughs> totally cool. <laughs> you can do that anytime. <laughs> that's awesome. Thank you. And I do love getting to do what I do and we're getting a lot of momentum with the Resiliency Ninja podcast. Uh, the listeners, People are engaging. I love getting notes from people about what has resonated with you and how the uh, the guests have impacted you and, and the Facha Fridays, how you've gotten something out of that. So thank you everyone for being here. Please, if you love this or know somebody who needs to hear it, make a note, ask Siri or ask uh, your Google uh, you know, person to remind you when you're not driving to share this podcast write a review and give it a five stars. So thank you and have an amazing rest of the day. Thank you for tuning in to Resiliency Ninja with Allison Graham. We are thrilled to have you as part of our community. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend it on iTunes, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can always connect with Allison at r-ninja.com and find important links to show notes. Thanks for listening. Until next time, embrace whatever obstacles come your way. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.